You're listening to Out of the Box with Rosie Tran. Out of the Box is sponsored by HugMeTees.com. Spread love, give a hug, HugMeTees.com. I'm here today with comedian and radio show host of Cooper Talk, Steve Cooper. Steve, how are you? Good, Rosie. How you doing? Good. It's weird. I was just thinking like when I first started my show a few years ago, you were like my second guest. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know. I knew I was an early one, but I didn't know I was your second guest it, ever. Because you were on, a, I think it was Amy Dresner than you. I, it was for the Cooper's Angels show. And that was like three and a half, four years ago. I, I haven't seen you since then. <laughs> That's just weird. And your show has taken off. It's done so many great things. We were just talking about it before we started recording. But all the amazing guests that you've had. How did you get involved? I know you're a comedian from back east and then you came out here. What's, what's your story? Where did you start? I started doing comedy in Philadelphia. I got out. Of, I graduated college in 86. And my mom found a... Uh, learning annex thing how to get into comedy and actually that's no lie and, and I took it with two people who are still working Tracy Skeen and Brian McKim they're of, the biggest of um, shackymagazine.com yes. yes and they were my teachers Tracy was my teacher and it got me on stage and then that was like 88 or 89 and then by 91 I was working weekends every weekend as an MC. then I started <laughs> featuring and then I started uh, headlining B clubs but then I was married to a crazy ex-wife and I just got out of business. I don't know why. And I didn't do it forever. And then I lived in San Diego. I lived in Vegas and I moved to L.A. And Did you quit because of the crazy ex-wife? I wonder, Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's because she would always complain because I was always traveling. And I was because I was always I mean, I, I didn't have a weekend off for like six years. I was always on the road. And that's how you made your money. It is. And I don't think people realize how um, crazy it is because it's really a lot. It's a mental strain. It's kind of, I guess, what a rocker, you know, like a, a musician would do, or maybe, you know, someone in the military. I can't imagine um, a job that maybe the average person could understand. I got married and I was gone for a month and a half. Yeah, my but, husband didn't see me. Yeah, I know, that's what the thing is. That's for me. It's like I, I was constantly going, and we were young in a marriage, and it was just, uh, and yeah. So I ended up getting out of business, and uh, then years what did late, you do? What did comics do when they retire? I what did I do? I uh, I got to know because I I hear you know I, I first of all I don't know I don't know that many comics that retire. I know comics that go into other avenues of entertainment. I do know a couple but i think they just always do comedy i don't know what do what do comics do when they retire when i lived in san diego i waited tables Uh and i I, I worked i did comedy a little bit then when i moved to la i wanted to pursue pursue some writing so i did i optioned a screenplay when i was first out here for like three months i mean a small option but you're proving my point you're just doing something else in entertainment but i was was still waiting tables and then i was sitting there and then over the time i just i had like this stage fright i was like i don't want to go on stage and i was writing and then I ended up waiting tables and I ended up falling into a restaurant marketing job. And then I was a corporate marketing manager for a restaurant in Burbank and Glendale did too. And I got very involved with the chamber of commerce and stuff like that. And then I got laid off and I said, well, what am I going to do? I got unemployment. I remember meeting a guy who had a radio stuff, Indy 100 radio. Well, then it was 92.5 KYHY when you came in radio station and everyone told him, they said, Cooper be great at the radio. He has great stories. He talks. <laughs> so I hit him up and I started doing that. And then I started doing stand up again. And I, I didn't, I mean, I don't really do stand up much anymore. When I was going back and forth by coastal for a year and a half, I would call, I would get in touch with all my old contacts and I book gigs. And it was a lot different when you actually go and get to do 30 or 40 minutes and you get paid for it instead of, you know, hey, come out and do seven minutes, you know, and drive 45 <laughs> minutes. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. You know how it is. It's like people sit there like, you live in, you live, I live in Burbank, you live over here. But it's like, oh, come to Santa Monica. You know, you get seven, I'm not going to drive 40 <laughs> minutes. And then there's, there's nothing against young comics, but. I, and you know, we've been in the business. If you walk into a show and you don't know one of the comics, or if you see the flyer and you go, none That's of these names look familiar. Yeah, you're going, 
It's like, what the hell? I, why am I doing this show? I mean, both, we, I mean, we both know good comics, you know, but we know the younger comics who are good. But when you do that, and then it's just, you sit there, and then I always, they always go, would well, you mind if you go on first? I'm like, please. <laughs> Yeah. I always say that too. I always well, want to go first. And I get out. I, I leave. leave? Yeah. I know. I'm like, I'm like, people go, aren't you going to support? I go, no. I supported stuff years ago in Philadelphia. And you understand, my crowd in Philadelphia, it was like the guys that we hung out and like, class before me and class after me it was like me Adam McKay who's directed Anchorman Paul F. Tompkins uh, John Matter who's a brilliant comedy writer Chris Mancini Keith Robinson so when we hung out we watched good acts and back then there was only like 20 acts and when you started working you go to the clubs and you get slotted and you would see great acts and Todd Glass would come in and do a set or anyone but now it's like you see people and they they just they're getting booked because they bring people and that, the shows and think, are awful I think the internet has ruined stand up because uh, Anyone who has a YouTube thing or whatever c- thinks they're a comedian and thinks and and I it's a it's a pro and a con. It's a pro because people that are maybe not breaking into the business the way they want to can make their own products and make their own videos and do other things. But there's also people who are awful comedians and they think because they have a YouTube channel because you know forty thousand thirteen year olds think they're funny that now they're a comedian quote unquote and yeah. it's really bad. And you know, and it is also is I think now it's people will do like let's say they do. They have eight minutes and they get a Comedy Central special. But you know the thing is, if you you, you could have twenty minutes for a Comedy Central special, but if you go on the road and the headline, I'm sorry, but there's some road comics who are features who are strong and their and their only goal is oh, to yeah. blow that headliner <laughs> off. I know when I featured, I hated this one guy. He had to, he, he played a harmonica and he was awful. And I was doing a show in like Wheeling, West Virginia, and the guy was just an idiot and he was just he was obnoxious. And I said to myself, screw this, screw this. So I'm sitting there and I, I ignored the light. I did 45 minutes because I was smoking. And he walked off. He's like, Ugh. I walked, he looked at me. I was like, dude, follow that asshole. And it's like, because it's like this guy shouldn't have been headlining because he was loud. Back then, if you're like loud and from New York and you're big or fat, they headlined you. It's like, oh, wait, this guy's, a, I was like a 20, I was a, had hair. I looked like Parker Stevens and I was a good looking, you know, 25 year old with like the, the cool clothes and the hair. And they're like, oh, this guy, he can't headline. He's not fat. In New York and loud <laughs> and it's true though you're back then there was like the fat people would have nothing against fat people my mom's fat but the fat people would headline if you're fat and got some laughs because they thought oh that's what people wanted because people would go to comedy and be like oh now they want skinny good looking guys and the problem is the skinny good looking guys haven't been doing comedy long enough to be funny that's so true and that's so funny because it, it, there's certain stereotypes about who can headline and who can't and it's it's so true I, I don't that's it. That's all I have to say, Steve. Yeah, it's, it's, it is crazy. I mean, I, I mean, I, I occasionally, you know, I don't go out on the road with people, and I've asked people, one friends with this, let me go fe- feature for you, and they won't take me because they know I'm going to smoke them or or make them work because most headliners now want to bring someone who's a not yes, as strong, as, and but that then, drives me nuts. People do not understand the phenomenon of. I guess insecure headliners oh, yeah. that just well, want to bring a, a newbie that's two years deep, and then they look even funnier. Yeah, they don't want to work and there I mean I'm not saying that's all headliners there's headliners no. that, well, I, know no, that I, I work awesome. with, I work with Rich Scheidner sometimes and Rich is a dear friend and Rich is so funny and Rich could follow anybody I mean Rich <laughs> Rich can do like four hours on his head so when I go with him I mean I remember we did a show in Valencia and I missed the exit and I'm freaking out I'm telling my girlfriend I'm having a panic attack I'm like oh my god we're almost in Lancaster we're somewhere I'm like oh my god the show's gonna start so I go call Rich call Rich so she calls him and we, we got there in time but Rich is like the old school comic he's like here's what we did on Cooper you know the MC would have gone on if you were in here I would have come on and done 10 then when you got on I would have brought you on but I was like yeah but then I still have to follow you doing 10 which I can't follow Rich I, I can't follow you doing three but then we have and he's what's amazing about his act is he's working on a one-man show and he's I mean if people don't know he's been on the tonight show like 15 times I mean he's 
national. But now what he does is he does bits of his act, but then he tells these stories, and these stories are amazing road stories, like hardcore, his <laughs> drug stories in Alaska, and this, and doing blow with Rodney Dangerfield. But then he breaks in, and that's what's amazing. He's doing his bits and killing, then he just changes up and tells these stories, and the crowd's still with him. And that's, I wish more acts were like that, because he's like, anyone can feature. He wants, you know, he's just all about the show. He's like, if it was him, he would have three headliners in him, you know, and that's why I think comics should be like, because if people pay money and if they see a crappy product, they're not going to come back. Well, I, that happens a lot. I know I've been to so many shows where I'm performing. The comics are horrible. The booker has put on 20 comics in the show just to try to have them invite their friends and fill the room. And then the show's horrible. And I've heard audience members saying, oh, my God, I'm never going to a comedy show again. That was awful. Yeah, I, I won't take I won't take friends like people. I'll book something. Well, can you bring people? I can. You're like, I'm not inviting my friends to this. First of all, I'm not going to have my friends pay $10 to see me do seven minutes. Okay. Like when I played, when I played back home uh, about two years ago, it was my first time performing. I had not been back because my parents had moved to Delaware, but I grew up outside Philadelphia, New Jersey. I had not been back. I went to, I performed and 35 people showed up. But I said, and they all paid 20 bucks ahead. It wasn't like, you know, but they also knew I was doing a 30 minute set. Mm-hmm. So then you'll tell someone like that, but you're not going to tell someone to pay $10, get two drinks, see me for seven minutes. They'll probably put me on first because I'm strong and I'm not being <laughs> arrogant, but I know how to work a crowd. They'll probably put me on first or second. And then my friends have to sit around and watch 15 shitty comics. They're like, I don't, I can't do it. My friends won't talk to me anymore. And people forget his, I, my friends, I'm, I'm the only entertainer. I mean, besides I have friends who are sound men, but they're always on the road working for like American Idol or Biggest Loser. But my other friends are what we call civilians. They're regular people. They work regular jobs. So they can't come out on a Tuesday night at 10 o'clock. <laughs> and, and stay out until one o'clock in the morning know, watching crazy. bad comedy. <laughs> it's nuts. What do you think has perpetuated this shift from actual well-produced shows to these you know, bring your friends and you can have stage time shows. Well, I think back, pay in, to play. back in the day, back in the day, I, saw <laughs> well, I, did, I did turn 50 this year, so I'm getting older. But back in the day, comedy was such a boom that, you know, every, every town had weekend shows and they were sold out. Even when I go back East, you know, clubs, people, they promote the club. It's a club here. There's so much comedy. And the problem is like when I started out, there was like, 25 acts you know I, I see people on facebook some female comics like they bitch like oh all, all guys do is book other guys and i want to say excuse me i hosted cooper's angels for <laughs> a year and a half okay we're not all like that but when i started out there's only like three female comics there's only like an open mic was like 25 people tops here there's so many actors and they want to do comedy they're here for a certain reason they don't know what they're doing people go to a show like you said they see a crappy show like they'll go to the comedy store and they're expecting to see you know maybe you know, Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle or whatever. Or Dice Clay or somebody yeah, n- whose name is on the wall. <laughs> yeah, but then they get, the, uh, they get a self-produced show by someone who I'm not going to mention names, but aren't comics anyway. And they put on a show and they make it as a bringer and they might have one or two good acts and the rest suck. And the comedy store doesn't care because they're getting people in the door. So just for the listeners who don't know what a bringer show is, a bringer show is something that they have in the comedy music world. It's basically pay to play. The promoter is saying, hey, you can be on the show, but you need to bring X amount of friends or you need to promote X amount of tickets to be on the show. And so it's not based on talent or how funny you are. Sometimes it is a little bit, but mostly it's based on can you get heads in rooms so we can get paid. Right. And that's, I mean, it's, it's a business. And that's what I think everyone forgets is it is a business. And my, my also my feeling is, you know, I mean, we can bitch about it, but there's people like me who I go off, off into the radio thing. You know, that's my thing. And now I'm working on a one man show about my heart problem. That's my avenue. I'm not going to bitch about it because instead of dealing with it, I'm like, you know, I'm a very good stand up, but I'm not going to be a star. 
you know, I, I, I got out of the business. I could have been a star by now if I had stayed in the business, but I'm glad I didn't because my life's completely different in a different avenue <laughs> than it would have been. I may have been dead, I mean, by, by now. Because of the partying? Just, I mean, just that and just, yeah, just, it was crazy, you know, but you don't know. You don't know where your life will go. But the thing is, like, for me, I don't, I don't bitch about it. I joke about the bringers and stuff like that. I don't bitch about it because, as my thing is, I see people bitch on Facebook about it all the time. Going, oh, this person got a break, this person. Well, you know what? Guess what? What you don't understand is that happens in every business. People don't understand, you know, law, law firms. Okay, law firms, well, if a guy graduated Princeton and a guy can have all the credits from Yale, but if he, a Princeton person comes in, he's going to hire the Princeton person. If someone sales people always, they hire a better looking person. That's a known, <laughs> but that's a known fact. But people don't get it. It's not only in comedy. And the difference is, at least if a lawyer's going for a job, they have a law degree. Half these comics who bitch suck. <laughs> So it's like, what are you bitching about when you don't, well, you don't, you can't bitch. I mean, it's just like, I mean, if I see someone, you know, people bitching about breaks, well, look, Jimmy Schubert's going to hopefully win uh, Last Comic Standing. Jimmy's a good friend. Jimmy's an amazing comic. He's been busting his ass forever. He never bitched. You know, he, I guys know he's never, I mean, he bitches on stage as his act, <laughs> but you never seen him rant going, oh yeah, this, you know, I mean, he's, he's at my Super Bowl party. Yeah, he's we're, a good guy. We talk crap on certain comics, but whenever <laughs> comics get together and there's alcohol, you talk about crap. But like people like him don't bitch and you know, he should be upset more than these other people you know but it's just he's been in the business like over 20 years right god no longer than that i mean look at todd glass todd glass started comedy when he's 16 todd's been in the business for 35 years oh my gosh and i'm sure todd's made very good money <laughs> but he still has to go on the road and he never got his ado and then you know then he he's came, not a huge 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 yeah. star the way some of these other guys are and then when he came yeah. out you know the funny thing was he came out two years ago on mark maron's podcast and we all knew in philly we all thought he was gay like my one friend said you know really? oh yeah because well my, my one friend said he worked with todd and he said okay here's the deal Either he's gay or all his male friends are just really good looking. <laughs> and but the thing about Todd is Todd came out and Todd probably could have sat there and gone for the the gay angle because that's like a market now. But Todd said no, no, it is though. There, <laughs> no, I mean, there's every true. there's every market. I mean, I want to do white bald guys, you know. But then that would be racist, be, you know. And which which I gotta tell you, it always irritates me when people bitch about people making fat jokes, but no one bitches about people making bald jokes. I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine with being bald, but there's people that I hate it. And if you and if you get it fixed, people make fun of your hair weave. So I mean, this isn't a bit. This is true. I, I'm tired. Of, people never people never feel bad for bald people. I feel bad for you. I don't. I, I, have, no, I, have, I, I have a beautiful. I'll show you a picture. Of my, girl. my girlfriend's beautiful. How I got her. I, well, I know. But, uh, no. <laughs> but no, I'm saying. But it's just that's the thing. So anyway. So tell me about your heart issue. Because or is that what you said? Yeah. Um, you said you wanted to chat about it. And I want to hear your story. Yeah. Well, it was very. Uh, it was weird. It was uh, two years ago. By the way, Steve, you talk so fast. And you're making me talk faster by the purpose of you being here because I like I subconsciously mirror my guest and I am actually a very very fast talker I'll, I'll slow down no it's great no, I love it I, I don't know if I'm because when I see I, I was I was saying I posted this on Facebook I'm so used to being the host like tomorrow I have uh, I have uh, you know that show American Ninja Warrior yes my friend uh, Matt hosts he's it. my guest tomorrow okay yeah. Matt and uh, Doug Jones who's a great character actor. I don't know Doug but I know Matt and I have to do my research tonight and when i ask questions i'm not i'm, I'm not used to getting questions <laughs> asked. and thank god you're a good interviewer because i've done some podcasts and the people really don't know how to do an interview and halfway through i want to take over because they're like asking me a question i'm like well no what do you think but thank god you talk fast and you're a good interviewer i actually i i'm a very very fast fast talker and i've been told to slow down so you're actually igniting my fast talking because that's something that even in in acting you know in uh sitcom acting most actors are too slow and they want it faster 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 and they always tell me and casting directors always tell me i normally tell people to, to speed up but i need to tell you to slow that's down that's funny <laughs> 
That's funny. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. I always talk fast. When I, I mean, I remember I was a little kid, and I just I you, I used to never enunciate either. My mom tells me this one time I was in a diner and just talking this poor guy's ear. I had like a toy car. I mean, I'm like three years old. And, blah, blah, blah. and he looks at my mom and he said, you know what? He goes, God, your son can talk. I have no idea what he said, but he can talk. But no, my heart, my heart. What happened was it was, God, it was, uh, it was actually two years ago last week. And um, it was probably, I went to the hospital at the end of, after Memorial Day, but it, it was it was very weird. I, I was feeling lethargic. Okay, and it's so funny. Like a month before, more than more than usual. Just I'm mean, usually have a lot of energy. I mean, okay. I was feeling like just like crap. I mean, I could, I could barely get through an hour interview with my guest. I mean, I, I had Mark Valley on, and I was, and then I had Bill Dwyer on first, which he's insane to interview. So I'm sitting there going, and I and I was nervous because Mark Valley was his, it was his first time on my show, and he was a big TV star. You know, you don't get you know big handsome TV star. And I'm sitting there, <laughs> and I, I I talked to him like a, six months later, and he I said, dude, I almost was almost dead he's like i you look like crap because i don't want to say anything here i thought dwyer roughed you up or something but you look like hell you're like swarmy and sweaty but it's so weird how life happens is i i have a very good friend who was used to be a very big comic who's my comedy mentor named jeff martyr he had his own hbo especially he, he, he just got out of the business completely too and he's someone who got carson gave him the couch his first appearance i mean this guy hosted a few shows he hosted a show with ringo star but he always kept on me going coop you gotta get Insurance, you gotta get insurance. I said, I'll get it, I'll get it. He goes, No, you got I got a guy, I got a guy, you get insurance. <laughs> so I get this guy and I get the insurance. And uh, I was back east, I still remember the day. And I, but I, I was supposed to, I was paid, it was supposed to start like May 15th, but it started, it said June 15th. And I called the guy, I said, Listen, I paid. And he goes, Okay, let me check it out. So he calls back, he goes, Yeah, it started May 15th, no problem. So I was feeling like crap, and I know I woke up one day, one night. I had a shuttle get me at like five in the morning to take me to the airport, and I couldn't breathe. I thought I might have had a heart attack. I don't know. And they say, you know, you you get the bag and you inhale, and this is no lie. Oh no, all I had was a no, all I had was a, a, a no lie a barbecue chips potato bag. So I'm stocking on it, and the stuff is like going in my lungs. But I somehow get I get into the plane. You're I, choking on chip yeah, charts. Yeah. I fly back east. I go to a Phillies game. As we're le- I couldn't eat. When we're leaving, they're going to my girlfriend's car in the parking lot. I could barely walk to the car. So I get back. Finally, I go to the doctor out here. Doctor says, uh, oh, you have a respiratory infection. So he gives me medicine. Okay. You know, the z pack or whatever. And now I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm exhausted. I mean, I learned at that time, the difference between tired and exhausted is tired, you're like, I don't want to get out of bed. Exhausted, you can't. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I'm sitting there, I take the medicine, I'm still not getting better. Go back, still not getting better. Finally, the idiot says, well, why don't we get, you can get a physical. Why don't we get a physical? I go in to get a physical, but he never takes a chest x-ray. So I'm dying and the whole time, I'm thinking I'm a little where, where did, What hospital did you go to? Well, it was, it was an urgent care near Burbank. Okay. You know? I didn't go to the hospital yet. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm just going, Man, I'm like, what is wrong with me? You know, and I'm, I'm trying to, I'm tired. I have my show to do, so I'm drinking caffeine. I don't know anything's wrong with my heart, so I'm drinking five hour energy, and I'm eating like frozen dinners because I had no energy. I usually cook. I had no energy to cook anything. So finally, I go to, I was going to go to a party one day, and it took me forever to get there. And I noticed I just bought new shoes, like these canvas, like like these kinds, and my ankles were swollen like a fat Italian lady. Oh my gosh! Like, so I was sitting there. So finally, I went to this party. I had like a half a glass of wine. I ate something and I'm like, I got to go. And I'm usually like the life of the, I mean, I'm hanging out, having fun. <laughs> I got home. I got out of my car. I vomited in my car at the garage. Oh I felt bad. It's in a, you know, I'm thinking no other tenants were out there. And so I was just awful. And then it was a Sunday. 
and I called my buddy. I said, you know, you got to take me to the hospital. So I went into the hospital. I go into emergency, uh, the emergency room, which listeners, if you ever have to go to the hospital, say your heart or chest, you have chest pains because they put you in right away. There's like, <laughs> they're like, there could be, the guy could have like a, a shark on his hand and they put the heart person right in front before that. So I go in and I'm, first of all, I'm going to go in and they think it's going to be fine. So it's just, I'm waiting there and I'm in the waiting room and there's a back waiting room and there's these kids who are just so ill-behaved and they're running around. The kid tried to steal my hat and I'm sitting there and it's not even funny. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm sitting there and I, just, I was like feeling awful. So I get in and they put me in the bed and they go, they thought I had walking pneumonia. So I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Well, and then all of a sudden the doctor goes, uh, no, you actually have congestive heart failure. Oh no, I'm freaking out. Now, the reason they call it congest- and congestive heart that failure. That sounds very intense. Yes. I mean, like Mayor Koch died of congestive heart failure, but he was 88. So it's not like he died, <laughs> you know, and what was good, though, I was nervous because that's once you hear that, you're freaking. But it just it was a trick of fate. A girl I used to wait tables with and then when I was a marketing manager for a restaurant is now a nurse. She was my nurse. She walks in and she's like, how can I help you? So she goes, oh, my God, Cooper. So I said, listen, here's my tell me what's going on. She goes, Cooper. Listen to the doctors. You're not going to die. Okay. But they sit there and they put me in the hospital. So now I'm on the, I'm on the heart ward, which is, you know, the cardiac unit. And it's, I'm at St. Joe's. And it's good because you have your own room. But I'm scared. But I wasn't that scared. I'm scared right now. Well, no, but I was sitting there. And I was like, okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that I'm like, all right, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. So it's fine. And then my doctor, who I become good friends with, Dr. Dan Eisenberg, who's like, a, always tells me, can I, can I curse? Sure. He goes, so I said to go, what the fuck do you want, Cooper? Well, like, that's my cardiologist. Like, he'll sit there, and then I brought my girlfriend, and he goes, holy shit, she's hot. I thought you were gay. And, he said, and he's like this funny guy. And um, so he tells me, he goes, you know, have you ever had a heart attack? And I said, not that I know of. I said, but maybe that night. And he goes, well, your heart has damage. So I'm like, oh, great. But that didn't bother me, because I guess they were pumping medicine into me. I didn't know that. I mean, they, they tell you that they're taking care of you, but the worst thing is when you go to the hospital, like, you can't, when you have congestive heart failure, you can't, you're just exhausted and you can't really sleep. And so you're in the hospital by yourself and you're watching the TV and my girlfriend was back east. She just got back from Ireland. I said, don't, don't come out. You know, I'll be fine. And what, what scared me was when he said I had to go on medicine. And I was like, well, you know, because I was 48 at the time. And I'm like, well, I have to go on heart medicine. So I had to go on like five different medic- medicines. But when I talked to the people, they said, and I, I was a smoker. I smoked cigarettes. And they said, you know, he's going to change your lifestyle. You can't eat crap food anymore. You can't do this. You can't do that. So I walked out of the hospital. That day, after four days, actually, I got out after four days. I went home. I thought I was, I, I drank a Sobe water, but I didn't notice it was like with vitamin B. So my heart just shot up. My heart rate was like 170. <laughs> oh so I went again and I stayed it overnight. <laughs> and then I got home and it was one of those things where you sit there and go, okay, here's what I can do. I can follow what the doctors say and I can live. Or like so many people who I don't know why they don't want to live, they don't. I walked out of there that day. I said, I'll never smoke a cigarette again. Two, it's been over two years. Never even crossed my mind to smoke a cigarette. That's great. Okay. I walked out. I still drink, but not as heavy as I used to. You know, I, don't, I never really smoked pot, but I would never do that again. Nothing smoking. Um, diet. You know, I learned as soon as I get out, because c- to control congestive heart failure, besides the meds, now I'm on, I'm on actually only one med for congestive heart failure. I'm on three meds. One's uh, for a regular heartbeat, but I went down from like six meds and just, and I go to the gym and I just, I change my lifestyle. And the thing for congestive heart failure is you have to watch your sodium. And the thing is, I'm, I'm an advocate on sodium. I'm, I'm actually almost done a cookbook. It's, I have 125 recipes for cooking Love for soda. one, only cooking for one person called stop the assault and the A and the U, so stop the salt. And they're all low sodium recipes and there's going to be no pictures because people look at cookbooks and they get freaked out cooking is so easy 
and it's so cheap and people eat crap food and we don't read the recipe. You know, you look at it and you go, oh yeah, it's low fat. It's low fat, but it's full of sodium and sodium <laughs> gives you high blood pressure. For me, if I have, if you eat a lot of sodium, I'll probably have a heart attack or my heart will just stop, you know? And that's the thing. I mean, I can cheat every once in a while. When I got out, I was like, I could, most people can do 2,400 milligrams of sodium today, a day. Most people actually do 3,500 milligrams. I can do 2,000. When I got out, I was doing like 800. Yeah. And I lost like, 25 pounds. I mean, I'm thin as it is. I was like 140 and I had a, I look like Richard Dreyfus with AIDS. I mean, it's true. I was, I, I, my doctor's like, you look great. I go, no, I don't look great. And the thing is when you're, if you're, if you're sick like that and people don't know you had a heart problem and they haven't seen you for a while, they think, and cause you're in the entertainment world, they think either you have AIDS <laughs> or you're smoking meth or Coke. And that's true. They're probably going, Oh my God, he must be doing a shitload of Coke. And it's just, but now I'm back to the weight, but yeah. So it's a matter of, you know, I was, I mean, did I worry about dying? No. Could I have? Possibly. I don't know. I mean, I was in bad shape. So what is the cause of it? I just, I mean, heart problems running my family. I mean, you know, my, one might have been the heavy alcohol use, the bad eating. I mean, I worked in the restaurant business for a long time. You know, even if a restaurant says it's healthy and organic, doesn't mean there's not a lot of sodium in it, you know? And I just, I didn't treat my body well. And, you know, and, you know, I'm, I, I went to college in the 80s. I mean, I, 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 mean that's, I mean, that's all I can say. Miami Vice is big. We all lived that life. We wore the, the, the bright blazers and we didn't shave. And none of us look like Don Johnson. And we, we partied, you know, I mean, and that was a thing. And I just it's one of those things where I did get a pretty much a second chance. And I, I finally went. And the best thing is the, the moral of the story is get insurance. Because, <laughs> no, because I got insurance. If I not got insurance, my bill would have been $55,000. Oh my, my bill was $1,900. And now with the Obamacare, which people can say what they want about Obamacare, I basically, I got a really good insurance guy. I, I sound like a drug guy. I just got, <laughs> but my, 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 I got a guy. Yeah, I got a guy. Exactly. My drugs, my drugs were, uh, the two of them were $15 each generic, but the hard stuff, the Pradaxa, even with my insurance was one ninety eight. Okay. So right there, that's you know that's two hundred fifty dollars almost a month. My insurance was one eighty. It was going to go up to uh, three forty. Okay, so right there you, you were looking. I would have been paying three forty and two fifty five ninety a week. I go through the sky. We play with some figures, do a little juggling. <laughs> I pay seventy five dollars a month for my insurance. Three dollars each for my two of my prescriptions, and then I was I was thinking I'm going to pay one ninety again, you know, for the other one because it's you know the guy I go to save on the guy goes ten dollars. I went, are you joking me? And he's like, no. So I saved, I basically, the, for my insurance and changing with Obamacare, I went from paying close to $600 to now I'm paying $95. That's awesome. And it's just amazing. But it's just, and you have to take your medicine. You have to, you know, it's a thing. You just get used to it, you know, and, and you have to change your lifestyle. I mean, I work out now. I mean, I never worked out. I, did the doctor give you specific things and say, you have to do this, you have to do this, or did you do research on your own? He gave me a book. And he, and he said, here's how to control your heart. And he said, here's what you do. And I, now it's like when I, went, when I first went to see him, I would see him like once every month, mm-hmm. once every three weeks. Now I see him, tells me to get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> I'll see him in three and a half months. And, uh, and he said to me the other day, he goes, you know, he goes you're going to live till you're 80 or 90. He goes, just so you know, if you keep up what you're doing. And that's the thing. You have to be smart. Like I saw a guy going to the cardiologist with a Taco Bell bag. <laughs> and, you know, it's so funny. You know, that, it, it, that's comedy. I mean, that's the thing is, I mean. That's how stupid people are. You know, you're going to see a doctor with and Mexican food is the highest in sodium because it's so good. But the flour, I mean, I eat corn tortillas. They're like 20 milligrams of sodium. A flour tortilla is like 480 milligrams of sodium. Oh people, don't, people don't notice it. And that's the thing. My book, that's what I'm going to do with my book. And I'm writing a one-man show. Well, it's about, I've had amazing hospital stories. I've been in the hospital for, I fell off a golf cart at a party, going through a botanical garden. I had bleeding on the brain. I, was I, this in the 80s? No, this was uh, about six years ago. 
And I still have the bump right there. And I was, I had, I mean, my whole face is swollen out. I, they thought they're going to have to go in my brain. I mean, I, I just, it's amazing these parties. So, I mean, these, these hospital things. I ran my Fiero in the eighties. I did run my Fiero into a telephone pole after an excess concert around the corner from my parents' house. And I ran home and I was wearing leather pants and a white turtleneck. That's oh all I'm going to say. Gosh. But once again, it was the eighties. So. <laughs> Well, I guess you earned your battle scars then. Yeah, but the thing is, it's so funny with like me. I, I just like, what, what are you going to do? You know, you, you can deal with it. You know, I mean, I, I have a little bit of memory loss at times. <laughs> I do. I've, I've had like, I've had like, besides that head injury, I've had like four concussions and just playing flag football or like playing pickup games when I was younger. And you just deal with it. You know, you can sit there and like, I see so many people mope. You know, it's like, that's why I always laugh. You know, I, like people bitch about not feeling sick. Like, you're, oh, shut up. I was in the hospital. I was in, as I always say to people, I go, you know, you people can bitch, okay? But I look at me. I was in the hospital with heart disease. My girlfriend was a victim of a, a national date rape case. And you know what? Both of us are pretty happy. So it's like if you, you find your – if you can overcome, if you want to, anything. And I, I, mean, I mean, of course, there's things you aren't. But it's like once you sit there, you, just, you have to just change your view on things. That people – because, I mean, you know, people, and you, well, you're not really on Facebook. I am. I am on Facebook. Yeah, but you have a fan page. I had to make my page private because of stalkers. Okay. Well, see, that, that's, what, that's what gets me crazy. I, but I get that sometimes. Like, I have to, and I'm one of these people that I don't, I have like 3,000 friends, but I don't, I don't ask friends. Like, so a lot of comics just get like 5,000 friends. Then they always do that thing. They go, well, I'm going to start weeding out my friends if you're not liking my comments. Well, fuck you. Weed me out. <laughs> you know, it's like, are you that arrogant? It's like, and I don't know. It's just so weird. But with Facebook, it's stalkers, but you, like you, because you're a comic, and like me, because I'm a radio I, with my radio show, I mean, I'm listening to I'm listening to like six different stations. I probably get over 150,000 listeners a week. If someone sits there and re- says they send me a friend request, I am going to accept. But sometimes it's like these weird ladies. <laughs> but the thing is, I know because we can look it down. I'm listening to in like 14 different countries. So maybe there's weird ladies. Like I, one lady I accepted and she hasn't sent me weird messages. Maybe she's just a listener. <laughs> But then I get some messages, hello, baby. And I'm like, no. You know, it's like for women, though, it must be worse because there's guys. I mean, guys are just such idiots. I, it's, I, I feel bad, and we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't feel bad for women. I, and I, you know, I've, I've come a lot of this with being with, since I've been with my girlfriend. We shouldn't feel, you know, women shouldn't have to go through this stuff they go through. I mean. There's a lot of internet trolls. Let's just say uh, that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and plus, yeah, I mean, it must, and you're cute, and you have a comics. They're probably like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's like, I mean, I'm sure there's not some big, you know. I uh, used to have a comments page on my website, and I had to actually take it down because there was so there became inner comment arguing on there. See, that's it's like that's like well, someone did that. I, I posted something, and it was just something a happy a happy message, and someone put a political thing. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, don't do that. You know, I, I don't. I mean, I, I post. I do a lot of. I tweet and my Twitter goes straight to Facebook. I do a lot of jokes. Here's what I, I do self promotion. I tell stories occasionally, like, you know, about how I remember a certain song and I write a thing of an event, you know, because they're, they're humorous. And I do jokes on things, but I don't, I don't ever really write political stuff. And the thing is, I see a lot of people on Facebook, they write political stuff, but then someone argues, they get pissed <laughs> off, and then they delete the comment. Well, then don't, don't put the political stuff up. I mean, it's like anything. You know, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to say something, you got to deal with it. And if you don't, you're a little baby. I just don't like some of the trolls. I think a lot of people need to get a life off the internet, which is important. It's important to have an internet presence in the social media, but it's also important to have a life in real life. 
and I just had to make it private. I, Twitter, you can't, I mean, I don't want to make my Twitter private because I tweet a lot, but I mean, I had a woman, I was modeling, um, Jay Moore has, uh, t-shirts for his podcast and I modeled them for him. And this woman apparently was extremely angered that I did that. <laughs> So she started tweeting at me pretty nasty things. Like, what was she mad that because you modeled something? She was. She well, 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 where's the, that's none of her business. I, I don't. I don't. I don't get that. When people sit there and they'll they'll rip someone apart. Hey, you know what? It's your choice. She was so, like, "How dare you? Who do you think you are? Like, I don't. I I, I don't get it. Why are you doing this? It's just. It makes no sense. That's the thing. It's it, most of those trolls. I think they're. They don't make any sense. They're, like, de- they're desperate people or unhappy people. But then I blocked her and she actually made another fake Twitter account just to send me mean messages. See, that's good. Do you, do you follow me? <laughs> I think I do, but if I don't, I'll follow you. Because I follow you. I think I do follow, I do you, follow Steve. you, Steve. No, I, that's the thing. I don't, I, I don't really respond to messages from people. Every once in a while I will. It's like when Veep, I love the show Veep. And the last night was this last episode. So I tweeted to Reed Scott and... Uh, Sufi, I don't know them. That's another name. The Packers. I do because I direct and, messaged you, and that's yeah, why. Yeah. Okay. But no, 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 no. You can you can direct message me if I follow you. But you can't respond unless I follow you, and you did respond. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> see, I, I don't. I mean, I just I write. You know, I just like today I tweeted because if North Hollywood had that guy. You heard about the yeah. yeah. Well, I just tweeted. I go. This is the worst standoff ever because the guy has his shirt on. <laughs> you know what an amateur because they always have their shirts off. But I just tweet stuff like that, and I just try to tweet, and I tweet stupid stuff, and I sit there and I just. But do it, it doesn't matter. It's like whatever someone tweets or or puts a Facebook comment. There's no reason to get angry about no. something or crazy. It's like first of all, it's none of your business. It's their life. Second of all, if they bother you so much, don't follow them or unfollow them or unfriend them. Whatever. Can I can I rent for a second? Sure. Okay. How long how long do I have? Uh, you've got a while. Okay, cool. I don't know how long you do your show. That's why. Uh, okay, here's something that bothers me. And uh, tell me if you agree. <laughs> this is just because it's Facebook. I am fed up with people using the term fan. Now, I'm not fed up with like a Bobby Slate or a Craig Shoemaker or a Wendy Lehman who have fans. Like they go to a comedy show and people come to see them. You have 10,000 Twitter followers. You have fans. You have a following. You can have fans. Me, I mean, as I said, you know, I'm listening to probably over 150,000 people. I get... I'm, in fact, my flyer for my show this weekend and is from a person who listens to my show. Yeah. A guy from Pittsburgh. And he drew a cool picture. And, and we've become good friends. When I did my show back in my hometown, 35 people showed up, whatever. They were friends. I, people who listen to my show. They're fans. No, I call them listeners. I, know, I, I said, because I don't, I don't like the term fan. I see so many people like use the fan, like these comics who, you know, they sit there and they go, oh, thank you for my fans for coming out. And they look and they have like, <laughs> they have like 500 Twitter followers. Okay? <laughs> but they always say, oh, my fans. And it's like, no, wait a second. You had 12 people show up. They're probably not fans. They're probably, you know, friends, coworkers, workers, or friends. I just, I think the term fan is so loosely used now <laughs> and it's just arrogant. It's like a fan is like a football team or a musician, but like, I'm sorry, like some, I'm not going to say names of a few people, but they sit there and they're like, oh, my fans. Or the, and it's like, or you're the so, people who take um, internet photos with their, with their camera and they're like, I'm a model. Yeah. yeah it's like, well, I also, I, you're I, like, you just took a picture with your iPhone. Yeah. It's not modeling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it just irritates me when they say fans because it's like, no. You know, and there's, I mean, that for me, that's like a lot of times it's like, it's like there's such, there's so many narcissists out there and it's like, they I say, the internet's made it worse. they're like, we're my fan. You had 12 people show up and then, <laughs> and then you see like who likes their, their, it's always like they'll get like 95 likes on their Facebook and then, you know, the comics that like their fan, their comments, you know, a few of them, but there's only like six, but there's, there's the ones that are like the, 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 
dick licks, the ass suckers. You know, they're like, oh, oh, I'm going to like that. I'm going to like that. And then there's people you never heard of. And my one friend uh, said to me, he goes, I think it's the people they, they're at meetings with, the AA meeting. I think they all sit there <laughs> and they want to support them. But I just, that's, that's, it just irritates me because and the, people, and the people who have fans never say, we have fans. Like I had Reed Diamond on my show. Reed Diamond's with Franklin and Bash. He's been, he's acting, I mean, at the same time, he was on 24 uh, Bones, Mentalist. I mean, the guy lives in a, on, he lives on a, vineyard i mean the guy's made money <laughs> he he said when i went on to homicide he goes he goes those people watch the show were hard he didn't say fans and it's just amazing the people who do have fans never say fans do you think it's kind of like people who think in their mind they're famous and they're like uh do you know who i am well if i knew who you were then you'd be famous i wouldn't have to you know right <laughs> exactly well that's what i get because on my show i get a lot of character actors and they said here's what happens and they're used to it. And the, most of those guys are the nicest guys. And they've been working for... I, haven't had, I, I say nicest guys because I, I, I figured this out. I need to find some female character actors because I haven't had a female guest on my show for 12 weeks. And that's 24 guests. But I don't know any female character actors. I've had Mo Collins. I've, you know, I've had, I've had you know, Kate Flannery, Nia Varlos. I, I've had those people. But I've got to find a new group of female <laughs> comics. But the character actors, they always say... They're, they sit there and they're... People, everyone knows who they are because they are commercials or this. But no, as they say, but no one knows what we're from. They always go, we know you. You're on that. And they always say, and this is like five of them have told me, they say, well, what am I on? And then people can never <laughs> guess it because they know. But like John Polito knows, you know, well, this group knows me from this show. This group knows me. He goes, like if an old lady comes up, he goes, I know this lady knows me from this. And it's it's just weird. It's just weird. The fans. I don't, I don't like the fan thing. <laughs> I, I, I just, it irks me. I see it. I don't know. I, I think. I, I, do, would it irk you if it was like a big, big star, or do you think it just irks you because he's like? It's oh like no, big stars nar- are these fine. Narcissistic, like nobodies who are but, like. Yeah, that's what a big stars are. <laughs> fine. You can't have fans if you have less than a thousand Twitter followers. <laughs> I mean, I think these, that should be a. You can't use the word fan if you have less than. And I'm sorry if you're doing a a, a comedy show in Huntington Beach. And you're saying, oh, yeah, I'm headlining. And it's always, that's the other thing. They're always headlining. <laughs> There's like 15 acts on the show, you know, and they're doing like, you're doing like, they're doing 12 minutes, you know but they're headlining. You know, it's what's like- so funny that you say that because it's so true. It's like whenever there's a, a comic that's going at the end of a show, that's a good comic, a big comic. And, and you say, oh, you're headlining. They go. No, I'm just going at the end. Right. But whenever it's a smaller comic who wants to inflate their ego, then he always says, "I'm head," or she says, "I'm headlining. I'm headlining." It's it's funny. <laughs> I hate it. I, I, I should just. That's why. That's why I don't really. I'm not really going away from comedy. I mean, between the radio show, finishing that book, and I want. I'm working on the. I want to do more storytelling, and I'm doing working on the one man show for that reason because it's something that you know. And and if the book. You know, of course, if, if my show all of a sudden becomes a huge, huge success, well, of course, I'll do a Cooper Talk comedy tour because I want the money. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's like anything. People sit there and go, you never do comedy. No, I do. I, I host a comedy show, my buddy's bar. And last week, it was only comics. But I only booked five acts. And it's people I know. And I, I haven't booked you because it's, there's no one there. You don't want to come down and perform with nobody. So I get younger acts I know. And we just screw around. And it's fun. You know, but that's but I, people would say, oh, you know, so you're not going to go on the road. I, well, you know, if, if someone said, hey. Cooper Talk's a national syndicated show. Like Jim Florentine. I knew Jim from years ago. His show's huge. Now Jim you know, commands top dollar when he Of course, I'll be like, how much is to pay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Honey, I'll be, I'll be back in a month. Don't worry. You'll get lots of shoes. I mean, it's just, that's the way it is. You don't want to, you know, but I just, it just, it gets me, it's just, it's sad that the state of comedy, like, it just Facebook, and Facebook screwed it up because there's so many people 
I don't know. It's just it's it's just weird. It's just changed. I mean, it's like people do it, and then there's different groups of comics and this and that, and there's comics against. It's it's just it's not. What do you fun. think about the whole alternative comedy movement of these comics that have? These eccentric, off-the-wall acts that sometimes don't have punchlines. Well, you know what? Honestly, the, the one of the biggest alternative comics was Paul F. Tompkins, and still is. And I was there. I hung out with Paul when he started, and Paul was in a comedy team, and they would do just crazy bits. But they had punchlines. They were their best difference. They were funny, and we always said to Paul, "Get out of Philadelphia," because. No one gets you, man. So I think Paul went to San Fran first, and he went down to here. And he started him and Patton Oswald, who was also from the Baltimore division of the club. who had Patton Oswald and Blaine Kapash. They came. They went to San Fran, and they came down here. And they were. That was the alternative scene. Now it's like you know what? They're going to have their. They're going to have their. If people want to go watch it, if they want to have see someone who doesn't, you know, tell a punchline, <laughs> let them. You know, I mean, I, it's not for me to judge. And it's like you know. It's just I think people people try to so hard to be try to be different, you know, and it's and it's like you sit there and I, I've listened to some podcasts where people try to be different and it's like no, because the bottom line is, you know, we're in here to get podcasts and comedy are to entertain. Now, if you know, if, if this people have their niche crowd, that's fine. They're not going to get accepted by the masses. And if they get the break, that's fine. But then once again, they may their career won't last long. And that's the thing you got to look at. I mean. More power to him. I, it's not my cup of tea, you know. I just, you know, that's the thing. I just, it's, it's you know. I mean, I'm not. I can't think of people you're talking about. I might have a few in mind that you are. We'll talk after. <laughs> but, uh, but no. But I just. I uh, would, and I wouldn't consider Paul and Blaine Capach and Pat Oswald alternative. But they were when they when they to moved out here. Standards, but right. I understand. Yeah, because they're they're beasts. They're I mean, main, they're, they're pretty they're, mainstream. They're huge because because they were. They were so they made that they're the reason like these guys can do that stuff. You know, like that whole I mean, Sarah Silverman was considered alternative back then. You know, Mark Maron was. They were all, you know, kids in the hall, those guys, Taylor Negron, all these people. You know, you know, it was like that it was that show uh what's her name? Um uh, uh Lapidus, uh Beth Lapidus Oh, runs. uh yeah, Uncabaret. Yeah, uh, that was the, the that was the beginning of it. Paul was involved in that. Jimmy Pardo was involved in it. It was that in Largo, it was just a different time. But now it's like, you know what, they, they people are gonna do comedy as I said. Eh, you know, go to your coffee shop. That's fine. <laughs> you're not you're not sell, you're not selling out big places. And when you go on the road, you're going to find out you get crushed. I mean, it's just it, people don't buy it. And I'm telling you, you can get paid all you want, but there's nothing worse than walking out of a show where the place is packed and you didn't get laughs and you feel like crap. And if you do that a few nights in a row, I'm sure these people will sit there and it'll change. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. I, I I can't I can't be angry about it. I'm a happy guy. Um, <laughs> back to what you said earlier. I totally understand what you're saying. You know the stuff you've been through, and and you guys, you and your girlfriend are positive because I know people who you know sit and lament and complain and say, "Oh, I've had it so tough." And then I know people who have had it really tough, and they're the most positive people I, I know. Well, I think positive <clears throat> just you know it's. It might come from upbringing. I mean, my, my parents, you know, I, I grew up upper, probably upper middle class. Uh, but my mom, her parents were immigrants right off the boat from uh, Austria and Croatia. And they owned a little bar in Philadelphia. And my mom was from the wrong side of the tracks. My dad was from the right side of the tracks. <laughs> but instead, my mom, though, was one of those people that, you know, she, was, she just turned 84. Well, she, in 1930, she was born in 1930. In 1952, she graduated Temple with a marketing degree. She was the only female in her class. But she came from, you know, immigrants. 
No one, and all of a sudden, like an immigrant girl from immigrants is in a marketing class, and they just taught, taught us to be positive, you know, because it's like, you know, negative. I mean, and I worry a lot, and that's one thing I do worry, but we all worry, you know. I sit there, I go, oh my god, you know, what if money's not coming in? What if I'm a, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to be homeless, you know. <laughs> I told my girlfriend, I said, if, if I said if I make no money, we can we we're fine the way we live for a year and a half. <laughs> I said then, but then I said, so you got to start pitching in. You got to, you know, and I said, I got to start selling my book and making more money. If I make no money, I'm fine that way. And I still worry. It's like, wait, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to make a lot of money in a year and a half. <laughs> but the thing is, it's, I, you know, you, you get negative and, and everyone does. And, and we get envious and we get jealous because that's what we do in this business just because we're all insecure. But it's like, you have to sit there and go, you know what? Instead of, you know, with me, with my heart, when I dealt with it, I said, okay. And then I had I had I hadn't paid taxes for a while, and I was sitting there going, "Oh God, oh God, oh God!" And then, you know, and then you, you you get negative, and you start dwelling. And then what do I do? I said, "Screw it!" I called the IRS. I said, "Here's the deal," you know, I've and and I owe three thousand dollars. That was it. And I was like, "All right." And they said, "Well, this one year you may have gotten sixty dollars back." I said, "No, I don't worry about it." But that's it. But because we sit there and we dwell it, and then it compounds and it makes us negative because we dwell on the bad, and we instead of just sitting there. And just sitting there and, you know, dealing with it. But the thing is, if you're constantly negative, you're not going to be healthy. You know, I mean, I know I, I went through a I went through a hard time about two and a half years ago. You know, I was worried. I was stressed about money. And I was like that. And, and why, why? It all worked out, you know. And I lost weight. And I was like, because you, you get into mind. But that's then at least stress and worry leaves a negativity. But if you just don't worry about it, it's like, you know, I see people who have, you know, of asthma and they're like oh my god I'm so sick I'm like yeah, I have congestive heart failure okay I'm on meds and I said and I've never felt better you know and that's the thing why why be negative I mean what are you gonna do I mean it, it, it's it's a lot more fun being happy you know it's like instead of walking around I mean, it's not fun being negative no, but some people live like that that's what they thrive for I mean and that's back to Facebook again people just bitch about stuff and it's like <laughs> Why? It shows a lot of consciousness. It's crazy when you look on Facebook. You see what people are posting. And you see what's in their consciousness level. Like a lot of people I know post jokes or post positive things or post cute little memes, you know, or little pictures. Is that, is that how it's pronounced? Meme. Yeah. Okay. So the, or they'll uh, post cute little memes or little pictures or pictures of their kids. And then some people, the complaining or the political BS, and you're like, this is what's on your consciousness level. You're right. just spewing out a bunch of BS. Yeah. And they'll, they'll sit there and go, well, and I, it's always like the bitterness. Oh, well, it's like, oh, you know, and comics who do it and they bitch oh it's like well then just <laughs> guess what you can't change it I mean, people don't understand we said i said this earlier there's nepotism everywhere it happens you know what and oh, sorry it didn't happen to you but it happens and by the way hollywood and this isn't easy okay it's not supposed to be easy it's not like everyone can make it and it's funny because i just watched a show last night uh you know morgan spurlock who did uh, Super Supersize Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he has a show called The Inside Man on CNN. And I'm a huge documentary person. I love that kind of stuff. And he did a thing about college athletes and about basketball players and how like three, whatever, 300,000 kids play high school basketball. Maybe 30,000 play college basketball. And 275 got drafted. Okay. In Hollywood, you can make work as an extra. You can get little parts. You could get a commercial. I mean, I know people who only do commercials and make so much money. It's sick. Yeah, it is. And, but the thing is, but they've learned that. I know one guy who's done a few, and he goes, you know, what? I just really concentrate on the commercials. 
because he, he was just on my show. His name's Brian T. Finney. He's been he's been over 150 national commercials. Okay, he's also he's he's in that show Turn now. He does he's a serious actor. He's like he's in the Actors Gang that Tim Robbins started. But his break was commercials, and he said for a while he just said I'm not going out to audition for acting parts. Like for main stuff because I'm not getting anything right now and I want to stay positive and I'm booking a shitload of commercials. <laughs> so that's the thing. You can, it, the people bitch about this business, but there's so many ways you can make money in this business. You know, in pro sports, there's so many ways you can. And the difference is a lot of pro athletes, and this isn't this is an indictment on our systems. They go to school and they don't get the education they're supposed to, and then they're screwed when they get out. Most actors, comics, writers, anyone are pretty much usually pretty smart. I mean, yeah. there's some really good looking guys and girls who are stupid as doorknobs. <laughs> But so it's a matter most, of they can do most it. Most artists know? are pretty, pretty intelligent. Yeah. And that's that's something that I don't like is there's a stereotype in Hollywood that, you know, sometimes actors get really political and 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 it's, you know, maybe you see them in a role where they're playing happy go lucky or something really cheesy on Disney. And so people think, well, how can they, you know, uh, who are they to say something? But, you know, I think that if you have the voice and you have the, um, you know, the the audience people listening to you can it's, i don't like when people go off on crazy tangents and they get, but i don't and like they, when they preach and I, they I, get too yeah, psychotic uh, yeah, but, but i mean if it, you know heck if i was way more famous i would push my causes yeah for the i mean positive. that's for me yeah that's thing but I, I i know what you're saying and they when they have it but i hate when they sit there and then you get a dumbass like gwyneth paltrow who, <laughs> you know, i mean who's the stupidest <laughs> bitch in the world who i don't even think is good looking i don't think she's talented what has she done since shakespeare in love and joseph fine stole that movie and Queen Mary Dench or whatever. I'm sorry. This girl has made so many stupid comments. I mean, you know the way she said about the soldiers, right? I don't. Oh, she okay. She just said that being on set or being no being a mother with having having kids and being on set is like being in war. And a soldier <laughs> said, "Yeah, because being in war when you get shot at and are is just like having a nanny." She makes these stupid comments all the time. It's pretty bad, actually, and I didn't realize how bad it was. I went overseas a couple times for the troops. And you, uh, my friend, was your photographer. Oh, you're Ken- friends with him. No, Kenny Aston. This was years ago when you were on my show. I have a great memory on old stuff, not new <laughs> stuff. I can remember. We talked. There was a guy, an African American guy, who was, I think, your first one of your first USO tours. He was a photographer. His name was Kenny Aston because I posted. You have a good memory. I posted you were going to be on my show, and he sent me a message going, "Coop, I was a photographer overseas because <laughs> he worked with a he w- was a photographer overseas for the service for a long time." Yeah, so I went I went over there, and you know, my dad served in the South Vietnamese Army with the Americans, but I didn't know anything about that until I was in my mid twenties because my dad was very secretive. He was in a um a very what is it called when things are classified classified okay. um because he was doing torture <laughs> we'll talk about but that they don't, but they don't talk about it. like my dad was in but d-day he, he never talked about it but like you know so I, I didn't i don't consider myself a military family like we didn't move around he, he came from the war he retired he wasn't in the military when we came here i didn't know anything about it i went overseas to perform for the troops it's really really rough yeah oh, yeah and it's not you know, the men and women over here who are spouses and, and girlfriends and boyfriends can't even imagine what's going on over there. They don't. And for Gwyneth Paltrow to say that, that's, that's Well, yeah, because she's silly. an idiot. She always says stuff like that. <laughs> it's like, what does she know? She grew up with a, a, a father who was a 
director and a mother who was an actress. She has never done. I mean, she's probably never even changed a freaking diaper. <laughs> and I'm glad the guy from Coldplay dumped her or they broke up because he seemed cool. And, and I want him to get a lot of ass that's hot. Cause but, he, I'm, I'm, but there are a lot of actors and, and writers and directors and people that are in Hollywood that are very, very intelligent. Oh, like yes, you said. a lot. A lot of them, especially, you know, people who are, you know, highly creative and and so I kind of don't like that stereotype of the dumb actor, you know, the b- blonde bimbo. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, but there are a lot of them too. There I mean, are, but there, there are, are there I are a lot of prom kings and queens, right. and, <laughs> and they get, and that's that's something people get pissed. It's like, hey, you know what? Hey, more power Homecoming to them. They're good looking. Hey, let, let them have the part. You, know, you look look at John Hamm. God, the guy's gorgeous, but he's 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 funny. You know, he's he's a smart guy, and you sit there and then you go, man, that guy. You know, it's like I always say, like Tom Brady, the football player, had to sell his soul to the devil. <laughs> Because he has three Super Bowl rings. He's an amazing quarterback. He's a supermodel wife. He's handsome. Very good looking. <laughs> Funny thing is, he makes about $24 million a year. His supermodel wife makes more money than him. I know. You don't live like. That's not. That's like. That's. You did something with the devil. Because you don't. That doesn't happen. No one's some Illuminati there. It's or like, something. I, mean, if, I could see if he looked like, you know, like Quasimodo. <laughs> But had the Super Bowl rings and was rich and had a, a hot looking wife. But that stuff, that doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. That's so funny. Uh, we have to wrap up. I want to talk a little bit about Cooper Talk before we okay. do so people can support you and support your show. Where can we find Cooper Talk? Okay, you can go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have 260 episodes up. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio, type in one word, Cooper Talk. Also, I'm played Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on Indie100.com from 4 to 6. All Radio X, Friday, there's a bunch of them. But just go to my website or go to iTunes and look up Cooper Talk. And if you listen to it, leave a review. As I said, I have, I have you know, scroll through the past. You'll, you'll find a really eclectic group. If you like music, you know, I had Terry Nunn from Berlin. I had uh, Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses. The group Drama Rama, the great 80s band. John Easdale came in, played an acoustic version of Anything, Anything on my show, which was cool. He has some amazing, amazing guests, top yeah. actors yeah, and just, people in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Really, really good guests. You'll be impressed. And Twitter. They can follow me on, at Cooper Talk on Twitter because I tweet who my guests are. That's great, Sometimes. guys. So follow Steve Cooper. Check out his radio show. This has been Out of the Box with Rosie Tran. Guys, Out of the Box is sponsored by HugMeTees.com. Spread love. Give a hug. HugMeTees.com. And don't forget, we're now on SoundCloud. Guys, I don't have that many listens on SoundCloud yet because we just switched over. So go on SoundCloud. Follow us. Um, put a little heart. Like an episode. And don't forget Stitcher and iTunes. We love subscribers and we love comments. It helps us out a lot. Thank you so much. This has been Out of the Box with Rosie Tran. Bye.